This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 8 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, presented by Equestrian Life. Exclusive coverage of the world of dressage. We would like to thank our sponsors, Equestrian Life. They can be found at equestrianlife.com and Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com. This is Chris Stafford in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Heather Blitz in Esberg, Denmark, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show presented by Equestrian Life. Well, hi, Heather. How are you this week? I'm doing great, Chris. Uh, how are you doing? Doing good. Yeah, we've got some really nice weather here in Kentucky and less humidity, so that's always welcome in the, this time of the year. Well, we have, nice. a, we have a good show lined up this week. We have something very different, and this caught my attention when I saw a blog um, by Lee Cullen. Lee lives up in uh, New England. She writes a blog called Confessions of a Struggling Dressage Rider. <laughs> and I thought this might be something that many of our listeners would be able to identify with, Heather. Yeah, she's got some pretty funny things on there. It's entertaining, and yes, they probably will be able to identify with a lot of it. (laughs) So Lee's going to be joining us later on in the show, but um, I thought we'd start off this week, Heather, talking about where we began and where where we got the bug with our first pony. Do you remember how you got got your first pony? Every single day of it. (laughs) I do. Um, I was five years old at the time, and uh, my siblings and I all sort of got ponies at the same time. And mine was a little Shetland pony, you know, kind of that chocolate color with white spots and a big bushy white mane tail, the classic little Shetland pony, and his name was Rebel. And that he was. He was, um, you know... Uh, they have a reputation for being a little ornery, and he, he didn't uh, miss that at all. <laughs> he was a, a little spitfire, but um, uh, we, were, we were, you know, he was just the love of my life at that point, and I rode him for a couple of years, and then I got a, a little bigger one. How about you? What did you start with? Uh, well, I started about the same age. I was about four or five. Um, I had a little black pony called Tommy. And uh, I started off, I'd be taken around the country lanes in England on the lead rein because Tommy could be a bit feisty. (laughs) And I remember he used to have this knack of dropping his shoulder and I would just fall out the front door every time. Aren't they clever? Aren't they? (laughs) The devil that he was. Um, yeah. But I'd still, you know, I'd just bounce and get right back on again. And, you know, and he, he would know where there was, uh, was one little country lane where, you know, in England, they have those wide grass verges on the country roads, which mm-hmm. are great fun to canter up, you know, and with other ponies, I used to canter up those. And I was on the lead rein and my father was on a bicycle and he was letting me get a little bit faster trotting and then into a little canter. And there was little drain um, drainages across the that made for a little tiny jump, you know, on the on the grass verge, and so Tommy used to use those as an excuse. I mean, he could just step over them. They were, you know, they were just a little gully, and he mm. used those as an excuse to to as soon as he landed, he would drop his shoulder, and out the front door I'd go. Little devil. <laughs> How yeah, oh, funny. But, well, it, give it, it teaches us um, stick-to-itiveness, doesn't it? <laughs> just get back up there and try again. Get us humble from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> totally. But, uh, you know, those, you never forget those first ponies, do you? 
Oh, never, never, never. Yeah, and the smell of you know putting my nose into his hair coat and just the smell of his of his neck and just the the feel of him and everything. I'll never forget all those senses of, of having him. Never. So, did you jump with your pony? Yeah, it was mostly cowboys and Indians. <laughs> you know, we had a, a, quite a bit of acreage um, where I grew up, and we could go out back in the kind of the woods and, you know, through up and down hills and through water or whatever. And uh, back in the woods, we would take some old fallen down limbs and some hay uh, baling twine and just kind of build our little corral. And we, we played, yeah, cowboys and Indians in the woods. It was just a blast. And it didn't really ever get serious at all about riding until my late teens, really. It was all just complete fun. So, and, you know, if there was something lying down in the woods, yes, we would jump it. <laughs> Anything that was a challenge, we would jump it. If it was in the water or not, didn't matter. How about you? Did you, you probably did a bunch of that in England, too. We did, yes. And, of course, you and I had very different upbringings. You, you're in the Midwest over here and, and me in, in little old rural England. And, yeah, jumping was the, one of the first things you did. You know, it was... It was such so much fun that uh, yeah, everybody jumped. Whatever, it didn't matter what it was, you jump it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, to be a kid again. Absolutely. Um, well, we're going to head into the news of the week, but before we do, uh, we're going to take a short break. Hello, everyone. Glenn the Geek here. Heather and Chris will be back with you in just a moment. And since they did this recording, they have submitted to me their pictures of them with their first ponies so if you would like to see heather and chris's first ponies stop over to the website at dressageradio.com well you know we have a fantastic friend and sponsor equestrian life they're the title sponsors for the dressage radio show if you've not been to equestrian life yet you need to go in addition to being the social official social community of the horse radio network it is one of the fastest growing horse communities on the internet It is truly the Facebook for horse people. Keep track of your friends and their horses, the shows they were at, and how well they did at all, and track all of that at equestrianlife.com. And the real core of the site is their expert high-definition videos and live event coverage. Learning from the best in the industry and remote participation in exciting competitions via their in-depth interviews and streaming videos will continue to be one of the most important areas of the site. Additionally, they are working on some exciting new applications, including an iPhone application to help users share their time with their horses and other friends on the site who are just as crazy about horses and the equestrian lifestyle as they are. The community is designed by horse people for horse people and is filled with educational and entertaining video and audio all about our horses. Ride on over to Equestrian Life today, sign up for free, and tell all of your friends. If you love horses, Equestrian Life is the place to be at equestrianlife.com. Well, we, uh, we're going to start here with our news of the week, Heather. We've got a few stories to uh, look at this week. And, and the first one comes out of uh, Sweden, just right next door to you, up there in Denmark. And that's uh, about Jan Brinks. You remember Jan was such a successful rider for so many years um, in, on their team. Well, he's just retiring now from the international arena it's keen to point out that it is just the international arena. Um, he is going to be continuing at national level, but um, he, he's been so successful for so long, and it first came to prominence when he built his business with Young Stallions and won several international championships with three different horses. You'll remember him for Kleber Martini, Borsells Fontana, and Borsells Briar. That's more than any other Swedish rider in history. 
and he won the individual European silver in 2003, as well as 32 international Grand Prix classes, including the much-coveted Arkham Grand Prix Championship in 2005, where he, uh, I'm sure, was very proud when he actually beat Anki and Salinero. That in itself was quite a feat. He was first selected for the Swedish dressage team in 1989, um, and uh, what he's going to be doing now is com- continue competing in Sweden and producing those young horses, but he'll uh, be also concentrating on his coaching. He does a great deal of coaching, and he's quite a clinician. So um, good luck to Jan there as he, as he uh, turns a corner in his career, and uh, it's been quite, quite a, a, a journey so far, hasn't it, uh, Heather? Well, yeah, sure, certainly he's done so much in the international arena. And, um, yeah, I was kind of surprised to hear the news. Of course, we all have heard that Briar was going to retire after this year. and But then you know, when I saw the news that he was also retiring from the international ring, it was a, a surprise to me. But I also totally understand. And it is so um, challenging and so so much involved in being on that circuit. And, you know, you get to the point where you've done what he's done and you can only stay at that level or go higher. So it's understandable. I mean, that's really strenuous and a lot to a lot to keep going and there's also so many other places to concentrate in the uh, dressage world so i think it's really interesting that he'll go you know more directing towards coaching now and um and the the new he's also going to be still developing lots of horses and just put his his extreme talent in other places and i think that's that's really interesting and it'll help out the dressage world in in many other ways so lots of luck to him with his new direction and he has some great students uh, that that he's been teaching too, and you know Heather that obviously um, he, he's still going to keep his eyes on the international scene with uh, uh, Minatelde and his protege Sarah Henrietta Kellström. They're leading talents there in in uh, Sweden, and of course he has yeah. a training centre and a stallion station at Tullstorp. Um, yeah, so he certainly isn't retiring, is he? <laughs> no, no, he really hasn't. And I think he has a new right. wife, Katerina. I met them in uh, Vegas. I talked to them both uh, when uh, he was retiring Briar. And uh, very, very charming, uh, Jan. Really, very, very, very nice man. And uh, so we wish him well. And we'll be seeing him over here for the USDF convention in December out in Austin, Texas. Yeah, super. Super. Well, um, our next story is is the ongoing story, actually, Heather, about the um, FEI's uh, suspension of Isabel Verth. And what came out this past week, which I thought was interesting and unusual, is that the International Jumping Riders Club and some eventers, notably uh, Bettina Hoy, of course, who's German and based in Germany now with her partner, Andrew Hoy, and uh, they are just some of the riders that are, are coming out in support of uh, Isabel and and the um, the case that she's now facing. And uh, the German National Federation has vowed to appeal against the FEI if if it feels that the suspension is too lenient. Um, and I think this is just denotes a very interesting turn of events here and, and something that the FEI are going to have to address in a very global fashion, as they do, of course. But I think it's a, it's a much bigger issue, isn't it, Heather? Well, yeah, it is pretty interesting. I mean, this is sort of um, history in the making here. We haven't really ever seen this level of um, focus on, on these things before. Um, at Princess Haya, it also says in this news bit that she's supporting Isabel as well. 
um, yeah, so what the German FN is doing compared to what the FEI's ideas are, you know, it's just um, they're not the same. They don't have the same ideas, and something's going to have to, um, you know, one side or the other is going to have to compromise. So it, it's just interesting, you know, really all ears on what, what comes of this. Absolutely. Well, we'll be following that story. And then we have a story out here uh, from the U.S. Dressage Federation. They're now offering historical award reports dating from 1974 to the present. So that's great for the, the USDF are really looking into the history of the sport and maintaining those records. And I think that's a great thing, you know, for people to have that reference as they go forward. And those uh, reports are going to be available through the USDF's website, including the award name, the levels, rankings, median score, and the year the award was earned for most awards that USDF has provided over the past 25 years. The reports are available by owner, rider, or horse for a fee of $20 each for members and $35 each for non-members. And there will be a link to that on our website, so you can take a look at that and check out those reports that will list the awards that a specified rider has achieved, including rankings for year-end awards such as Junior Young Rider, Adult Amateur, Vintage Cup, and cumulative rider awards such as the Bronze, Silver, or Gold Medals, or Freestyle Bars. Horse reports will list all year-end award placings achieved by a particular horse, and the owner report will list all awards won by all horses they owned at the time the award was won, including any horse performance certificates that were earned. So uh, I think that's great, isn't it, Heather, to have that kind of record and reference, you know, as we go forward now, and thanks to all the electronic media and internet that we're able to do that. And so uh, I think as a rider, that's got to be helpful to you, hasn't it? Well, yeah, certainly that'll come in quite handy for a lot of the members to be able to access the historical awards more easily, and um, it's good they're getting that all organized and together. That's super. All right, well, we're going to take a short break here and uh, for a commercial, and then when we come back, we're going to be listening to Lee Cullen, who's going to join us and tell us about the struggles that she has as a dressage rider. We'll be back with uh, Heather and Chris in just a moment. You know, we often talk about Kentucky Performance products and how they truly do simplify your search for a supplement for your horse. You know, you can trust Kentucky Performance Products to give you the most value for your money. This week, I wanted to talk to you about Joint Armor. Joint Armor's well-balanced, scientifically-based formula provides your horse with the building blocks necessary to maintain healthy joints throughout his lifetime. Joint Armor helps maintain the flexibility and fluid motion found in normal joints. It supports cartilage development and reduces joint deterioration. Best of all, it's concentrated and affordable. One jar will last up to 75 days. Learn about Joint Armor and all of the products at kppusa.com. That's Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com. Well, Lee Cullen, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us. We've been reading your blog, Confessions of a Struggling Dressage Rider. Well, first of all, you have to tell us how you got into the sport and why you got into the sport. Well, um, I would say that I got into the sport because I love the the beauty and the grace that's involved with the the horse and the rider interacting together. Um, Prior to going to dressage, um, when I was 35, I picked up riding as a hunter-jumper at a local barn, and... I wasn't very good at that and went on to do something else that wanted, I wanted more um, 
fine-tuning and refinement as well in my riding. I had been riding as a hunter jumper for about five years, and I've spent the last two years concentrating on dressage. So when you, when you say you're struggling, does that mean that you struggle on a daily basis? Is this, uh, you know, and tell us a little bit about where, where it is you're doing the struggling. You're based in New England, right? Yes, I'm in uh, Massachusetts. I'm just outside of Boston um, in a small town called Quincy, and my riding stable is about a half hour's drive from here. Um, when, it, when I'm referring to struggling, I guess it's just um, there's so much involved, I would say, with dressage. It's, it's so mentally and physically, and um, there's so many aids in fine-tuning and refining, and um, basically uh, a lot of things that I actually blog about is those dratted old 20-meter circles <laughs> and trying to get to my touching points and trying to make a, a precise circle um, uh, really learning to ride both sides of my horse so that as I'm turning, I'm not pulling him or her into the turn. I'm actually, you know, turning them and bending them properly and, and truly using my outside aids. And it's just, you know, no sooner do I seem to have overcome one issue and I've developed a new issue, like um, it's becoming steadier in my contact. Um, elastic elbows. Um, I, I've been giving away my outside rein a little bit more than I should be, so that's not keeping my steady thing. So, it, you know, no sooner do I, I tweak one thing and I develop a new issue. So I think that's what my struggle is. It's um, pretty fascinating, isn't it, how much when you watch, uh, you know, an expert at the sport, how easy it looks when all the things are working well and it looks like it would be so simple just to get up there and do the same thing, doesn't it? <laughs> Oh, that's so true. And and actually, that's that's one of the things that I find so fascinating about it is that at some point in time, that is achievable to, to have all your aids so quiet that it looks like you're doing absolutely nothing. Yeah. Well, that takes years and years of practice. And, you know, everybody comes from, from something different. I mean, some people are going to be wiggly. Some are going to be stiff. Some are going to be terrified. Some are going to be too much gangbusters. It just, it just really depends on where you start from, too, doesn't it? Oh, that's, that, that is so true. That is so true. And, um, you know, it, I ride school horses, so I don't actually own my own horse, so that it becomes a whole other issue where, um, you know, granted, I might ride the same horse consistently every week during my lesson, but in between me riding that horse, there might be other, you know, 20 other riders, and they're all at different levels. It could be, you know, a dead beginner or somebody far advanced beyond me. So that that's another issue, I think, that plays into my struggles, the, the consistency of the aids and asking and... Um, and now you're a regular working wife. You have you have a husband. You have a family to take care of, and and you have a day job as well. So this is this is a full time. This is a hobby for you, then, isn't it, Lee? That's correct. That's correct. I, I have a husband. I have a son who's 13, and uh, I work full time. And on the side, I also take on freelance jobs as they, as they become available. And um, dressage really is it's become a passion. I'm totally addicted. And I, I try to juggle the full-time work, the family, and my passion, which at the moment, as you said, is a hobby. And, and so what would your goals be then? What would you be your big ambition? Would it be to own a horse yourself one day and take him up through the levels? Oh, I would love to be able to do that. Maybe when my son's out of the house. <laughs> I would love to do that now. I just can't afford that right now. Um, and I would definitely like to be able to compete. So my goal is hopefully to, to be able to compete next spring in our local um, BLN shows. And um, I have been volunteering with NIDA 
the New England Dressage Association in order to um, further my education and uh, to learn more about that. So I would love to be able to compete at their shows as well, hopefully in the spring. So, Lee, what do you feel like has been some of the most uh, influence on your learning? Is it is it from watching? Is it from actually being in the saddle and being told what to do? Is it from what the horses tell you to do? Like what it, what has been so far? Um, you said you've been at this for a couple of years now, right? Like what has been the, what you learned the most from? Well, well, I'm very. I'm very lucky that I have um, an instructor who owns her own facility, and she's um, up to the fourth level, although she's actually gone back to third level to make sure that her horse um, definitely knows about collection, and um, she's also center riding certified. So I think that part of the, the things that have really clicked with me is using um, analogies so that if, I, if I'm not actually understanding something, uh, she'll either get on and demonstrate to me or she'll have me dismount in order to show me um, a lot of the Sally Swift, Mary Wingless, um, different things. Uh, and it helps to see somebody else riding, even if it's my school horse. Um, I actually do stay and watch lessons. Um, and it's nice to see another rider riding that horse to see that, it may actually not be me. It, it's it's part of the issues with the horse. Um, and as a rider, I haven't caught those issues and been able to fix, you know, um, the fact that she likes to bend to the to the inside, on the on the left, um, and she'll walk, like walk away with another horse. Um, I have a lot of instructors that will give me input and say, you know, can you feel can you feel her stomach against your right leg? That you know, you need to push her over, or she's avoiding now that rain. All those things have been really helpful. And, and and tell us a little bit about um, your your lessons and when do you when you are riding different horses Lee do you approach similar situations similar challenges um, I would say overall the, the challenges are probably similar in in, um, in, in my barn and I, I'm considered to be an advanced rider um, and some of the some of the consistent challenges are probably that a lot of times the horses aren't asked to come down onto the bit and to round and um, getting them to, to accept that, to, to truly go forward and to truly, you know, come onto the aids. A lot of times that's not done. So I might spend, you know, 15, 20 minutes with each horse just getting to that point, you know, just warming up and getting to that point. And then the rest of it seems to be, you know, heaven afterwards. But getting to that point is, you know, it's, it's rather difficult. Um, and then each, you know, each horse I ride is, is an issue just because, um, as you know, they all have different gates. They have different personalities. Um, pretty consistently, I'm on a quarter horse mare who's about 15'3", hands tall. And um, the other day I switched over to one of our chestnut thoroughbreds. And just the change of gait was throwing me off because he's, like, very springy and, you know, your typical thoroughbred kind of trot. And I was bouncing all over the place and... I had to adjust myself and, and definitely engage those core muscles and get it moving forward so I could smooth it all out and get it to come down into my hands. And that was, that was difficult. That was, that was a bit of a challenge. He was, you know, head up in the sky, didn't want to come down, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I noticed one of your blogs entries, you, 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 you quote to quote you, maybe I'm too sensitive about my riding skills, but I was on the verge of crying. I just couldn't pull him together. Is this sort of a typical frustration for you, Lee, that you know everything? Yes. 
<laughs> and actually, that was the post I was referring to, the, the thoroughbred that I was riding the other day. And it, one of the reasons I actually started the blog was because, well, my husband's eyes glaze over and, you know, roll up into his head when I mention the horses, as, as I do when he mentions the golf. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, it, it, it's one of those things where I, I just wanted to kind of vent. And I figured there's other people out there that are probably at my level that are, are more or less lesson students that might be older that are coming into the sport. And you know what? We've all been there. We've all done it. And I figure, you know, it's frustration. But you know what? There, there's comedy involved, too. If, yes. if, you know, you, you have to look at it and you have to laugh. Well, absolutely. And, and you know, you have to remember that you do it for fun, right? Exactly, and and even if you do it for seriousness, you still have to find the comedy in it. Yeah, you know, like, you know, there there are so many things that I do that I've, that afterwards I I kind of like strike myself up against the head, and I'm like, uh, yeah, okay, that wasn't the smartest thing, and now I see what I did wrong, and you can laugh about it, and you need to laugh about it. Well, and I think that know, was one of the reasons. Yeah, you you you. Uh uh, you call your blog Confessions of a Struggling Dressage Rider and how an adult rider manages it all. And I think your blog really does encapsulate that. And, you know, I think credit to you that you seek advice from, you know, wherever you can. You're well read, you, you study the sport, you volunteer, and you're a really good example of an adult rider um, trying to make a go of it in the sport. And um, I noticed that you read Mary Wanless's famous book, Riding With Your Mind, uh, of course, Mary was a guest on the show here a couple of weeks ago. Uh, tell, tell us what you got from that, because clearly that was an inspirational read for you. Yes, and, and actually her book, that was the second time that I read it. And um, when you had contacted me, it was really funny because I was actually in the middle of my reread of the book. And, and I have several of them, um, both of the Centered Writing books by, by Sally Swift. And it's nice to go back because I think as, as, as a starting writer, there's just so much to know. You don't think there is. You think you just stump on the horse and away you go. And as you get past the basics and you start getting further into, for lack of a better word, the minutia, that's when it's nice to kind of go back and reread things and realize that um, there's, there's so much more involved with controlling your body. And through the controlling of your body, there's, you know, steady hand contact. Um, it, it's just so much with the biomechanics and and that's like a new area that I kind of want to delve into and I think that she has a lot to speak to us in regards to the biomechanics and holding our bodies and, and how our bodies really do influence the horse. Well, Lee, of course, I, I agree with you because I've studied with Mary um, on a personal level for, you know, over, over 15 years. And that's that's all about uh, – it's, it's what's writing is all about for me, too. And, um, it, you know, rereading her books is really interesting after you've been out there sort of practicing and then through, through a bit of experience, then coming back to reread her book is kind of like reading a um, – you know, a travel guide after you've actually been to the location. And, and Mary talks about that in the beginning of her last book, too. That, you know, once you've got some handle on what she's talking about, then you go back and read it again. It makes a whole another bit of sense, doesn't it? It sure does. It sure does. And, it, and I'm sure, you know, later on in my journey, I'll be revisiting again and going, oh, that's what that is. Because <laughs> I, I think it's yeah. just it's a, it's there, a truly it evolving sense. Yeah, and it's a truly evolving process, and I just don't think that you can fill in certain gaps without having gone through some of the journey in the process, and then you can go back and fill in other gaps. Um, there's just so much to learn that you, you kind of have to, you know, three steps forward, two steps back in order to fill in gaps. 
That's right. And, you know, just the realization that, you know, whether you've been at it for two years or, or 20 years or 30 years, that there's still really no end to the journey, is there? No, <laughs> there's no ending. And But, you know, that, that that's what's exciting about it. It's not something that you can learn and take over and, and just like, okay, a year from now I know everything there is to know, on to the next thing. And and I think that that's what people really need to realize is that, you know, dressage is just something that you could totally do for the rest of your life. And, you know, there are people out there that are in their 70s and they're riding dressage. And I think that's a it's, it's a nice thing to know that, you know, I'm in my 40s, but it's not something that I'm a washed-up person and I can't do anything else. You know, I, I can continue in my sport. Now, do you do anything for well, fitness, think, no. uh, um, Lee? Do you do anything else apart from riding for your fitness, or do you find that the riding that you do keeps you fit for riding? Uh, no, actually, my riding isn't sufficient enough to keep me fit. Um, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm small and very petite. Um, I'm probably like Debbie McDonald size. You know, I'm, I'm like a little over five feet tall. Um, in order to stay fit, I actually try to lift weights, but I can fit it in. I have um, an exercise ball at my desk at work. And I try to use that as much as possible. Um, and I take my dogs out for long walks to keep them fit as well as myself. Um, so it's some other things that I would like to do, and I and I just have to find time. You know, I, I have uh, what are those like magic machines? You know, th- things like that that I do, um, biking. But I I just find it really hard to fit in the extra time to devote totally to my physical exercise and well being. And I need to do that because, well. And I say I'm in my forties. <laughs> <laughs> well, you things know, are I th- changing. <laughs> I think, I think uh, there's a lot of things here, Lee, that uh, you know our audience can relate to. You know, at all levels, that, that you know that you, as an adult amateur, you know you're determined to to pursue your interest in the sport and and participate as much as you can. And I, you know, we we applaud you for your efforts. And I think a lot of people will identify with a lot of the uh, hurdles that you face. And I know the the, the twenty meter meter circle clearly is the bane of your life. So Heather, before we go here, any tips for Lee and how, how she can ch- t- tackle her twenty meter circle? <laughs> that could be a, a couple of chapters in itself. No, it is a lot more a lot more <laughs> difficult than it may seem from somebody who's not into the sport. But uh, gosh, where would I start? Just um, <laughs> keep after it. <laughs> keep practicing. You'll never master it. Um, it's all about balance. It's all about rhythm. Um, yeah, keeping your turning and your bending separate. Some of the tips I've 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 given so far in the in our dressage radio show um, past episodes. You can check in with those. They're all going to make a difference. All the little things. So just keep oh, yeah. and keep at it. One of the things that I actually find is that I overthink it, and I need to stop thinking about it and just do it. Because it seems like when I, I'm my own worst enemy and I get in my way, and the more I think about it, the more my body tenses and I start twisting and, you know, doing, doing the, the bicycle where I, uh, where I lean in and I collapse on the inside and I have to stop you thinking. You know, haven't, haven't we heard golfers and maybe tennis players and maybe other, other athletes say sort of similar things about that kind of <laughs> over-focus yes. and over-trying and not being in the group? Yes, my, my husband. <laughs> we just can't avoid that, can we? Yeah, no, and yes, I, I, can t- I can tell you that I have the same problem with my tennis serve. You know, I just overthink it, and it, you know, if I don't think about it, it flies. But if I work at it, it it just never happens. You know, I think we do, 
we overwork it but you know i think um if as you say heather there there are lots of tips on the dressage radio show and on the tip show the new tip show that we have that that might help lee and lee we want to thank you for taking the time here now you know remember there's no corners in that 20 meter circle so keep working at it thanks (laughs) thank you so much for joining us we will put a link to your blog on our website at dressageradio.com and uh, and make sure you follow lee's experiences and travails as uh, as she struggles she says to become the that elusive dressage rider so good luck um, with all your efforts and have fun with it lee well, thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate the call. All right, Heather. Well, we've got a couple of uh, interesting emails uh, this week. Uh, and so, we again, thank you all for taking the time to write to us. The first one is from Aileen from South Florida. She writes, I have a new project horse. He's a six-year-old Holsteiner. He was training to be a jumper, and due to an injury, the vet recommended a career change. He was le- learned he has learned to go with his head up in the air and no connection to the bit. I tried using a snaffle, but feel like I have to. I need to have some breaks. I have heard both good and bad things about using a combination pelham. What bit would you recommend for this situation? So okay. Well, I'm. I'm. Yeah, I'm excited to get um, a training question. I love them. So anybody else who wants to write these <laughs> in, I, I, it makes me all excited. So. Um, when I think about this and I, I kind of picture what's going on, first of all, you definitely have to check the horse's teeth. Um, you have to go through the horse with a vet to make sure that the head up in the air is not, you know, a sign of some pain, of course. Um, have to put that out there. And then um, what I would probably do next before you consider if you should put a, a Pelham or something with more power in it is to do some groundwork where you probably have him just in a snaffle and teach him on the ground that when you put some snaffle pressure in his mouth teach him how to back up and how to stop um, and then just do some really basic groundwork going forward and back um, with the bit in his mouth and definitely that bit pressure means that you can stop the horse so so that you know then when you get on his back you have a little better chance that he knows even though it seems really simple that he knows that a bit pressure at that point that he has to stop if you're worried about having breaks so it sounds like the horse's head is in the air and if you use the bit at all, he just almost goes faster. It doesn't know that that means stop. So I would just start on the ground first and see if you can teach it to him um, re- in really, really simple um, terms without getting on his back. And then um, try it under saddle. So I'd kind of like to see if you if you went about it that way and tried it, that maybe then you could check back in and see if, if that simple solution to start with made a difference. And if it doesn't, then you can sort of tell me maybe what else is uh, going on. But I would, I would sort of advise away from putting on some stronger tack um, to try to keep him from putting his head up because it kind of might, it sounds to me like it might be sort of, putting a rug over the dirt, sweeping, you know, not, not keeping the, the cause of the problem addressed. And I think it has to do with, but he probably just doesn't have the education to just simply stop from the brain pressure. Um, instead, he just puts his head up and runs. So um, maybe you could try that and then get back to me and let me know if it, if it's safe, if it helped or if it's still the problems are there and maybe they're different now, but maybe try that first. What do you think, Chris? Well, yeah, I think you, you made a very good point at the start there, Heather, about checking the teeth because so often something like it's something going on with their teeth or could be something going on with their pole or the top of their neck that they're being evasive for a reason. 
And I, it I could be saddle fit, you know, it could, could be, be, it could be mm -hmm. pain anywhere in the horse's body. But I think if you go through them with a veterinarian first and maybe a saddle fitter, so stuff like that first, you've always got to check in with that. Yeah, I think that's, that's great advice. Well, I hope that's helpful, Aileen. And I hope you'll let us know how it's going. Um, she also says, P.S., I am loving the radio show. So great. Thanks for, for writing to us. And uh, again, let us know because, as you heard, Heather really likes these training questions and she <laughs> wants to know, uh, you know how they're going with you. So uh, come back often. All right. Well, our next, uh, next is a very interesting email from Catherine McDonald. She writes, as always, I enjoy all the Horse Radio Network shows. So Glenn's going to be happy to hear that. Thanks for another great episode. Made it to Gladstone on Sunday in hopes of catching some of the action since it looked like the heavy rains were holding off. Literally got there when the cancelled remaining when the cancelled remaining rides. Totally bummed, but understand. It was interesting to hear what Debbie had to say. That was Debbie McDonald, of course, we had on the show a few weeks ago, uh, reviewing Gladstone. Very interested to hear what Debbie had to say about the conditions and the reasons of the judges to cancel. As an interesting counterpoint to it, it would be great if you could have Jessica Ransenhausen on some time. I've caught snippets of audio interviews that she's given to Nancy Jaffa for EquiSearch. Jessica sounds like she would make for an interesting interview, and she certainly did not mince words about her displeasure of cancelling the remaining competition at Gladstone. So I thought that was very interesting. Um, you know, there's always two sides to a story, Heather, and uh, it's funny that she should mention Jessica because she's on my list to, to contact and, and try and get on the show. So uh, stay tuned for that, Catherine. We certainly hope to have her on. She's a very busy lady, but uh, at some point um, we hope that she'll join us here on the Dressage Radio Show. Ah, well, great minds think alike. That's good timing. <laughs> All right, and then finally, one very short email, but we are still going to uh, <clears throat> include it. Um, the one point that Peggy Barrison writes to us about is about our website. She just says, quite simply, I enjoy your site. So thank you, Peggy, Yay. for writing. Yeah. And uh, again, Glenn will be delighted. He puts all the work into those websites and keeps them up to date. And don't forget, you can not only follow us on the website, you can also follow us on Facebook and on Twitter. You know, we do try and keep you appraised. So um, uh, there are lots of ways to keep in touch with us and, uh, and keep up with what we're doing. Well, before uh, we go any further, Heather, we are looking forward to your own training tip of the week what have you got for us this week okay well i'm going to pass along something that has been um sort of prevalent in a few of my lessons this week and um i think a lot of riders misunderstand the term forward or the concept of forward and sort of touched on that in some other training tips as far as making small steps bigger better you know more than big ones um and some reactivity, things like that. Um, but I think in, in general, a lot of riders mistake forward as, you know, simply making the horse go a lot of miles per hour. Um, I mean, in my mind, forward is just getting the horse to respond to my request quite quickly or, you know, in immediate immediateness that the horse mentally is really turned on. Um, when I think when riders misunderstand forward as just get the horse going as many miles per hour as you can, I think what they also imagine they're probably doing is that that, that might get the hind legs more underneath the horse. And I think in reality, all it really does is allow the horse to, you know, go faster than they are keeping themselves back and balanced. And then it, the result of just going out of balance is that the hind legs actually go more out behind them. So, 
I, um, you know, in, in most of my training and in a lot of my lessons too, I really encourage the horses and the riders to go only as much in miles per hour as you can really keep the balance further back. And, you know, when the horse is doing the, a shift a shift of weight from the front of their body to the back of their body is when the hind legs are going to actually end up being more underneath. Um, it just seems like forward, the, the concept of forward is quite often misunderstood to just, you know, run those hind legs underneath behind, and I think you really end up doing the opposite. So check in with um, how much your horse has the muscles to stop and, you know, the more the stopping muscles are just as strong as the pushing muscles and the horse can end up being really balanced between go and stop, then you'll find out the hind legs are under just naturally without having to really be the one who pushes them under. I really don't, in my riding, ever feel like I, I'm responsible for pushing the hind legs under. I just don't let the horse get balanced on the front, uh, you know, into his chest or on the front legs. So the hind legs come under naturally, even if I go slow, as long as the horse is forward, which in my mind is just a matter of, do they answer me quickly? So they can answer me quickly in little steps that are slow, and they can also answer me in big steps that are, are really huge. So just kind of consider what you, what, you, what you think of, what your concept of forward is, and um, think about, you know, keeping the horse balanced in the middle between go and stop and reactive and most likely will be very forward and energetic and the hind legs, you'll find them under sort of on their own. So try that. Well, thanks. Heather. And I guess all the time you're doing that, you have to remember rhythm, right? Well, yes. Uh, you know, rhythm, I feel like rhythm really comes also much more naturally when the horse does find the balance. I mean, it, it just always seems to come back it to me to, to a matter of, of keeping them in balance so that they can be relaxed. Horses don't like to be out of balance because if they are, you know, they're creatures of flight. So if they're being chased by a predator, if they're the one out of balance, they fall down, they're going to get eaten. So, you know, being out of balance is one of their worst fears. And if they're out of balance, they get tense and stressed and then evasions come out. So I think it really comes down to balance. If they stay balanced, then they are rhythmic, they are more relaxed, they are more supple. And, you know, with balance and uh then I think, you know, them finding out how the hind legs come under in a natural way, the rhythm is much more likely to be um, accessible and rhythm and steady and relaxation and therefore suppleness. Everything gets better. Yeah, it's interesting. I can remember the, the, the six step, the, the six points that were drilled into us when I was an equitation student many years ago. And that was thinking of it as a ladder, balance, rhythm, form, flexion, impulsion, collection. That, you, that, about, you know, that about sums it up. <laughs> yeah, I think it does, doesn't it? Because you can't have, you, you know, you've got to start with balance and rhythm and then becomes the form, mm-hmm. uh, flexion, and then impulsion and collection. Uh, so that's my. Yeah. That's how I. Uh, that's how I always remember. You know how you remember those certain phases that we were taught years ago. That's <laughs> one that never. And never, sometimes. Never <laughs> yeah, and sometimes you can hear those words years ago, and maybe it takes a little longer for the words to kind of like hit into a, a level of your brain that oh, that's what that means. <laughs> but it is that really sums it up, you know. And and um, at first they might just be words, but and the more you learn, the more you realize, you know, that really is the way it goes. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Heather, as always, for your training tip. Well, uh, next week we we have a a really exciting show. And if you remember last week, I mentioned that Marlene Whitaker was going to be on the show, and I got the weeks wrong. Actually, Marlene Whitaker is going to join us next week. 
So uh, look out for that episode. Marlene Whitaker is very famous for her freestyle design, and you have worked with her, of course, Heather. Yes, I have, and I've really appreciated her help. She's fantastic. So be sure to listen in next week, and don't forget that you can follow our show notes on dressageradio.com. You can send us your feedback, as you have been doing, via email uh, to either heather at horseradionetwork.com or chris at horseradionetwork.com, or you can leave a voicemail on our website. That number is 270-803-0025. Again, the number is on the website, and you can leave us a message and and you have your say here on the show or send as you've heard from heather send her a training tip question she loves those training questions <laughs> and as i mentioned uh, you can also follow us we have a fan page on facebook and we're also on twitter at horse radio and we do tweet a lot um well glenn does glenn's the biggest tweeter he keeps you up to date with all, what's happening on all the shows and and i always um tweet when a new episode of the dressage radio show is, has been posted on the website so you can follow me chris e stafford or you can follow heather heather is heather blitz that's on twitter so horse radio chris e stafford and heather blitz they're the three to follow to keep up with what's happening with the dressage radio show and you can also read heather's blogs on <coughs> and get information on on heather's clinics at heatherblitz.info and you keep that up to date don't you um, with all your new I information <laughs> I try to keep it up. Whenever there is news and information, I do put it there. Um, And we'd also like to really thank our sponsors, Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com and our presenting sponsor, Equestrian Life. Terrific. Well, did you get any... um any calls yet for your photography, Heather? We keep plugging your photography, you know. Well, it'd be a nice little sideline for you. Yeah, I would. No, I haven't gotten any yet, but the phone is uh, still available. The phone number is there. (laughs) No, but I haven't gotten any calls yet. All right. So, well, what's looking looking like for you this weekend and uh, next week? Are you doing anything fun? Well, what is it today? Monday? Uh, No, what is it? Wednesday? I don't know what day it is. I'm a little bit, okay, I'm a little bit in kind of vacation mode because my mother is in town. She's in Denmark now. She's been here about five times. This is is her fifth trip. And it's great to see her. So actually, I'm going to be a little bit distracted with some gardening, which I love, especially with her expertise. She's fantastic to help at that. So I'll be out in the sun and the garden and having a lot of fun along with my, you know, keeping... Horses and students going, as always. What about you? What are you going to be up to? Well, gardening. So it's funny you should mention gardening because ah. I'm very proud of my garden this year. I've, I'm already harvesting beans and squash ah. and zucchini and uh, uh, beets and leeks. Um, yeah, so you herbs. eat your garden. <laughs> I eat my garden. I mean, in fact, <laughs> it's nice to be self-sufficient. Well, not entirely self-sufficient, but it, there's nothing like going out into your garden and you know and uh, harvesting your produce and on, you know, putting it on the table. There's, there's something very satisfying about that. So yeah, that's my vegetable garden, Heather. Very proud of it. Well, I would be too. I, I should grow something edible in mine, but I don't think I have enough sunlight for that. So, and I have a tiny courtyard, but how fun! And gardening's a nice change from uh, the normal routine. Yes, yeah, great therapy, uh, great therapy. And, I, and I'm very pleased. I'm growing more flowers this year than I've done before, and I'm putting them around the vegetable garden, which apparently is supposed to be a good thing. Keep some of the bugs off the off the produce. Yeah. Nice. So I'm learning something every day. (laughs) Great. (laughs) All right, Heather. Well, it sounds like we're going to have a fun week. So until we meet again next week. 
Good luck and mind your riding. <laughs> <laughs>